like family with Brenda Donahue. Welcome to this St. Patrick's Day edition, where we celebrate families scattered across borders and continents, keeping connected even in this global pandemic. And you can join the conversation on Twitter at Brenda Donahue or email Brenda at rte.ie. I'm in Hackettstown, County Carlow, with Ruth and her little daughters. Happy birthday, dear Saoirse. Julie, her sister, is on Zoom with her young sons. Are you ready to blow? Blow? Hey! hey. 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 Oh, you did it. Did you blow out that candle, Max? Goodness, you must have some really, really strong, I don't know, breath if you were able to blow it all the way from Scotland. <laughs> I know I'm gas, haven't I? Julie emigrated in 2019. The, the understanding that me and Darren had was that he was like, look, we'll move over to Scotland. It's a lower cost of living. We have my family there. And sure, Dublin's only a 45 minute flight. So as often as you need to go home, you can go home. So that first year, I was home all the time. And then COVID hit. And now it's like, it's 2021. I haven't seen them since 2019. I have, I have a niece who I've never met. It's just horrible. It's horrible that I've never, that I've never seen her. I've never held her. And I don't know her little personality or anything other than through video and through pictures. So that's, that's quite hard, especially because that's, the sister that's closest to me in age, so we've always done everything together. The worst part is it has no end date. So we're not looking forward to a time to come. We're not saying, oh, well, in September, we're definitely going to see them. We're definitely going to get home because we had those those hopes dashed so many times last year that we don't, you almost don't want to build yourself back up to go, okay, I'm, I'm going to see them at this time. So it's, it's being homesick and missing them so much, but also not knowing when that's going to come to an end. That's, that's probably the hardest part for me emotionally. Ruth is finding it hard too. I think the hardest thing for me is that she has had little Eli and she's sending me pictures and videos of him. And I sent her a message the other day. She was sending me pictures of him. And I looked at the picture and I said, I just can't describe to you how hard it is that I don't know him. You know, that I would just so love to hold him, like my little nephew. And I don't have any boys, I have three girls. And she had Max, and I just love Max. And Eli's so different than Max. So I guess it would be easier if he was really like Max, because I could kind of relate that. Oh, he's like Max, so I know Max, so I know him. But he's completely different. And I was just like, that is so hard, that the person that I'm kind of closest to in the world, other than my husband, Niall, you don't need to... (laughs) Other than my husband, she has a little baby that I don't even know, you know, that kind of way. So that's been really hard. And hard for her with Saoirse and your girl. Absolutely. Talk me through the longing. Oh, if I could just, like, I would so love to hug and hold my nephews. But if I could just wrap my arms around my sister, I'd weep. 
And I just know that. Like, I know when I finally do get to see her, like, well, like, we'll probably, now we'll be slagging each other because we don't really do big emotions. Like, we might talk about, but like in front of each other, we'd be like, you, you would want to have thick skin growing up in the house that we grew up in because we'd constantly be slagging each other. So I know it's going to be very, very emotional. And then it'll be very, you know, poking fun at ourselves for, for even being that soppy. But, oh, it's just been too long. I just cannot wait to see her. I just, I have to. I feel like I have to see her at this point. Not that I just want to. I have to see her. And Julie is daydreaming about her homecoming. I, I know this sounds kind of, kind of, I don't, I don't know if it sounds tragic or just a bit weird, but it's been in my head for so long that I actually do have it played out in my mind. You know, when you picture something for a long, long time, so I can, I can see us pulling into my mum and dad's driveway with the two kids my sister's there and even sitting down with them that night with a glass of wine in hand after a big meal and I'm just so excited because yes phone calls and video calls are lovely but you just can't have that same fluidity of conversation that you do face to face and you can't read body language and see their their facial expressions and so I have already said to my husband Darren just ignore me for the first like two days that we get there because I think I'm just going to be a mess in a happy way but I think I'm just going to be all over the place (laughs) (laughs) and the first thing they will do hug, weep, cry and then go dancing that's what we're going to do when we see each other We were dancing to Monday back in the noughties when Maria from Galicia got an unusual job in Ireland's building boom. We joined this troop of nomad archaeologists around the country building, digging for bypasses and things like that. And so I lived in Kildare, I lived in Meath, Sligo, Cork, Watford, Wexford. And most of my best friends are from those years, actually. They, they're my best friends that I met through archaeology. They're definitely the treasures I found during my archaeology years. When you live in, a, in, an, in an environment like the archaeology world where everybody's, like, living, working, playing together, you do make lifelong relationships and connections, really. They might not be archaeologists anymore, but but you create this community. And, uh, and it was lovely. It was a lovely time and a lovely period in my life I think yeah did you meet your husband then yes okay. yes I did and he's an archaeologist he's an archaeologist still now okay. <laughs> yeah. one of the few left yeah. after the crisis yeah you must have had great fun it's easy to forget the um, the soggy winter days out on site as well <laughs> you know you tend to forget those but um there's a few of those all right but no I made some lovely friends and uh, I love that period in my life I love where you live in Dublin 8 here it's real heart of the city, but you love your hometown as well. Take me there. I my hometown is called Viveiro. It's a little medieval town in the north coast of Galicia. So, a bit of a rugged uh, coastline with loads of wonderful beaches, beautiful food, and uh, just a very easy going way of life. And what I love about going to Viveiro is that you just get up in the morning. You can just walk into the old town, which is all, all little cobble streets. And then you keep bumping into people. You bump into all sorts of people from, from your past. And and um, 
and it's great. So you go for a little coffee, you have your little churros, and then you keep bumping into people. Mark, my husband always says, look, if it was a normal place, it'll take you 10 minutes to walk to the main square. But because you keep bumping into people, it takes you about two hours because you keep stopping every five minutes. They they know you and they know your family and they, and they just want to get up to speed. You know, there's a lot of gossip as well, I'm sure, <laughs> as well, like any... It's a little bit like small towns in Ireland as well, you know. Maria lives in Dublin with her husband Mark and their daughter Sabella. But her parents are in Galicia, her brother in Berlin. We'll travel to Berlin, we'll try to go to Berlin at least once a year. And then we would travel to Galicia maybe a couple of times a, a year as well. And then Mark's parents live in France and Mark's sister lives in Lisbon. We haven't been to Lisbon now in a while, but she she's travelled to, to Dublin to see us. So travel is 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 part of our life, I suppose. And um, I suppose you build your life taking into account that you are going to do these trips every year. And uh, so that's why COVID is, has been really difficult. In the 20 years I've been here, I've never spent this long without going home. So the fact that... You have that freedom of going to see your your family taken away. It feels it feels like you're trapped. I feel like I'm trapped many days. Um, some days you just try to focus on your everyday life and go about your own business. And but some days it's really really difficult because you don't see the end to it. And you've you've built your life in in a different country, but you still want to be part of your parents' lives as much as possible, or your niece's life. So so it's been really hard, particularly after Christmas, when you think, well, it might be another year before I can actually go again. So I don't think I could I could bear not going for two full years. I nearly get a sense that it's like a physical pain. It sort of catches you unawares a little bit. Mm. So um, a few months ago, I was crossing the street with Sabella, and there was this man across the street and um, she thought it was her grandfather. So she said, oh, look, it's Abuelo. And I sort of, uh, it's like, I just shrank. Like, I just felt myself contracted. And um, and things like that, they just really take you by surprise. And they, then you crumble. Hola, que tal? Every time there is a debate Saludos about travel restrictions or the travel or international travel, there's never a mention of the people who actually live here and have their life here and they need travel to be connected with their families. Both people who live here and, and Irish people who live abroad, yeah. which there's a lot of them. We should plan for traveling safely. And fair enough, we can't travel at the moment, but you I think it's a bit cruel to to expect people with family abroad to be fine not seeing the families for two years. Do you miss your daughter? No. Muy triste, very sad. <laughs> a whole year without seeing her. She's looking forward to being able to give us a hug. Saludos a Sabela, rápido, a ver, espera. Sabi, mira que te voy a saludar a la abuela rápido, vale. Sabi, Sabi. And for her daughter, Sabella, 
It's all about because identity. She's a dub, but I want her to feel that she's also Galician. You know, it's not mutually exclusive. Mm. It's not like monogamy. <laughs> you know, like you can you can be you can be more than one thing. Yes. And I want her to be proud of being Irish, but I want her to be proud of being Galician. Sabe, saludos, abuela. Dices yo, chao. Cześć, dziadku. Cześć, dziadek. No cześć, kochane wnuczki. No. Co tam robicie? Eee, nagrywamy. <laughs> Justina left Poland when she was 25 years old, full of hopes and dreams. So my dreams and hopes at that time were to explore and see as much as you can. And um, Ireland offered us this uh, this bridge so that we could actually um, follow our dreams. And and we were, like myself and my husband, we would just pack our bags, get onto the plane. I had my uh, travelling guide with me and we had a tent in our actually bag. We were renting a car and just exploring like Spain, Italy. Um, so that was us. That was always us travelling. And three children haven't stopped the adventure. When we have three children, we have a boat. So my husband is a sailor and said, you know, ocean is just a couple of miles away and uh, we can enjoy ourselves together there exploring. And like last last, uh, August, we spent a month on the Atlantic Ocean uh, in between the different marinas and uh, staying on the anchorage and visiting sites and places that... We would you know, normally wouldn't go and see like Blasket Islands. Uh, we went there when the seals were breeding and that was just such an experience. And Skellig Islands and all of that part of the world, uh, just as long as you have food and fresh water, that's what we had to make sure we have. And maybe an odd bottle of wine there. Um, uh, and then you're happy out, you know. Brenda, one of the moments that really hit me was uh, when I missed my dad's 17th, 70th birthday. 17th? 70th. <laughs> Come on. 70th uh, birthday. So he was, his birthday was last March and I had my tickets booked and that was supposed to be a surprise party. And then on my dad's birthday, I rang him and I said, I was supposed to be there, you know. And, oh, it was very emotional. It was very emotional. For him and for myself. And we promised ourselves that um, next year we'll celebrate it. And I said, I'll definitely be there. And here we go. It's his birthday around the corner. And we're still in the same kind of... um, situation so that is heartbreaking that is really heartbreaking all the zooms all the skypes all the whatsapps they won't do it justice they won't 
make you, um, you know, feel the same connection as when you are just next to the person. All the hopes that we could, for instance, go and see our family this year are kind of, um, yeah, gone. And it's tough going, really tough going. Jestem Julią. Mam lat 23. Justina is a theatre maker. Dotknęłam kiedyś miłości. Miała smak gorzki, jak filiżanka ciemnej kawy. I've tasted love before. It was bitter, like a strong espresso. It raised my heartbeat. It danced my senses. It's gone. Uh, we were going to go um, on a tour with Julia and um, I remember talking to uh, the director of the Nina Art Centre, Bert Tissel, uh, in the morning a few times and I remember in the afternoon, it was like 12 o'clock, she said, Justina, all the theatres are closing and I was 13th of March and I was like, oh my God, all the theatres are closing. Now we're going to be nearly a year into it. A year. And it's just, it's been so emotional, so difficult. It's been like, yeah, that was, that was supposed to be like 2020 was supposed to be the year. Okay. And now here we go. It was very day year. Locked up in the house as opposed to the touring and everything. So I was like, Jesus, what's going on? How am I supposed to survive with all of this, you know, with all that you have inside, with all those feelings and emotions, you're mixed up, you don't know what's going on, you were so worried sick and, you, you know, oh, unreal, unreal, totally unreal. You're yeah. going to play me something? Yeah. Okay, go for it. I will sing too. Okay, now I'm in for a treat. <laughs> I must say that um, the pandemic and everything brought us close. For example, the piano changed so much, the dynamics in the house. I said, I'm getting the piano. I'm just getting the piano. We have to have the piano. And the dynamics changed because if you have that instrument in the house and a little one sees that um, a daddy's playing or a mommy's playing, um, they would join you. They will join you. And at the end of it, my 10-year-old now got into that, that a year into the pandemic, it's not even a year that we have the piano. He's, um, he's doing a marvellous job and I, feel, and I feel so emotional listening to him and going, oh my God, my little fella. You're, he's still so talented. <laughs> so let's hope when the pandemic is over, you go to the uh, music school and you will just pursue um, that talent because, um, and the joy of doing this together, sitting down, singing. We all gather together now in the evenings, not every evening, obviously, but, uh, and sing. We choose a song, off we go and then explore and we have such a great fun it's just unbelievable such a great fun and you look at them and we look at each other and we say how lucky we are a falling star from your heart and landed in my eyes Brenda 
I've often said since that COVID actually did us a favour because we were actually able to have Scythe Funeral here at the house. So we were in the garden here and the garden that day was just like a big hug around us and the bees were buzzing and the birds were singing. Um, but sometimes I'm just so glad that we didn't have to take that long walk up the aisle behind Sive's coffin mm. and the even longer walk down when the mass was over. When Liz and Leo's youngest daughter, Sive, died last June after a long illness, it was a great comfort to have their older daughters, Sinead and Aoife, by their sides. Hello. Oh, hi Aoife. Can you hear me? Hi, Mum. Yeah, I can. Oh, good. Hi Aoife. Hi, Dad. Is Sonny there? Is he going to daycare? Aoife, their eldest, had to return to Australia at the end of last summer with her little boy, Sonny. Through deserted airports and a mandatory 14-day quarantine, she returned to her life in Sydney and her partner, Marty. Aoife, we're, we're just chatting here um, and looking over some pictures of, of Sive. And we're just talking about the distance. Do you have a feeling that some days, like Patrick's Day and that, are harder than others for you all? Um, definitely. I think, like, March is just already, it just feels like such a hard month. Um, you know, it's Sive's birthday, it's Mother's Day. Like, there's a couple of things this month, like, you know, St. Patrick's Day. Like, even the celebration here, it's the day after Sive's birthday. Um, so... What do you think, ma'am? Yeah, um, yeah. I suppose Sai's birthday. It's it's Saturday week. Um, yeah, we're not looking forward to it. Um, no. You know, we got through our birthdays and that. Um, but I think this is this will be particularly hard. I'm just thinking, your family are on the opposite side of the world. You're in Sydney. How does being so far apart, and would it pandemic as well affect the whole process of grieving um it's it's yeah it's far from ideal um i in i sometimes feel like in ways i'm living like a double life i have my life here with sunny and marty and motherhood and my job and all of those things and then you know, I have my life where I've lost my sister and I'm grieving and our whole family has just been, you know, devastated by her loss. Um, so it's it's hard. Um, it's it's not easy. It's hard being here and, you know, like just not having the support of people who knew Sive. Even like those kind of childhood friends who would have known us all growing up, like you just, I just really miss that. And we're the type of family who are always in contact anyway. So most days I'd be speaking to someone from home and like we love talking about Sive. We talk about her every day and um, like we're just trying to kind of get through it 
that way um, there's not a lot we can do um, it's really hard not knowing when I'll be able to go home again or when like mom and dad and Sinead will be able to come out here um, but you know this is this is life at the moment and um, there is not a lot we can do about it so yeah we just do our best and and try and get through. For people who, like myself, who never met Sive, can you tell people what you'd like them to know about Sive? Oh, Sive. Um, Sive loved life. She loved living. She loved. Um, she loved fun. She loved adventure. She loved travel. Um, she just she had 23 years of life and I can hand on heart say she just she really she really really lived them she made the most out of every experience and opportunity she she'd never miss an opportunity to like get dressed up and have an occasion be that you know go for a coffee be it a night out be it a holiday she just would she just embraced life um, and, you know, Sive, like, she didn't know she was going to die, um, but yet she just had this, like, absolute zest and joy for life. Um, she was also an incredibly, like, sensitive and kind person. You know, on the days when we're having hard days, sometimes all you need to do is think of Sive and her strength and her resilience and it's enough to get you through. She was a really, really incredible person. It's, it's I think a lot of grief is so um, lonely. I presume it's made worse by the fact that you're so far away from your own mum and dad and sister. Mm. Yeah, it it definitely is. Like, it's not... It's not natural, do you know, like I just like to be able to sit with them and, you know, talk about Sive or cry about Sive or a hug or whatever. Like, it's just not natural to be this far away. Um, but I do think even if I was there, grief would still in ways be very lonely because even though we're all grieving the same person, we all had very different relationships with her. Like even, you know, Sinead and I, we're both very close to her in different ways. Um, you know, my mum and dad, they had a father-daughter relationship. Um, Sive was my mom's baby, you know, like even though, you know, we're all grieving for Sive, every relationship was different. You know, there's no dress rehearsal for when your youngest daughter dies. And um, everybody's left, I suppose, with the legacy of that. Um, and I know for myself, uh, Sive in her last few months, had a, she bought this box of beads and she started to make bracelets for her friends. You know, there were some beads left, so I made up a, I made up a necklace for myself. And I find that... W- as you go around your your day to day duties, if you like, it's sitting around my neck, inside my shirt, and it's right over my heart, and uh, I can actually feel it through my shirt and press against my heart, 
and it's a good consolation and a good comfort. All right, Eva. Well, we hope Sonny will be better soon. You better head on there if you get him to the doctor and, and whatever. Sure, give us a call later on. Yeah. See how he is. Okay. okay. Bye, Eva. Love you. Bye. 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 Finding our resilience is key, especially for healthcare workers who often find themselves out on the front line, far away from home. Like Neve, who's just finished a night shift in a London hospital. You know, um, I'm quite fatigued at the moment, as is everyone else, I'm sure. Um, but I've just been trying to exercise. It's one of the main things I've been doing, just to try and, and clear um, clear my head, get out, go for a run. Um, and you, you know, um, and it, it does make me feel a, a tiny bit better. Um, but yeah, it's it's been very, very mentally challenging, definitely this, this past twelve months. You know, when did you come to London to nurse, and why London? Um, so I qualified in when was it now? Two thousand and seventeen. Um, so I trained in in Cork University Hospital, um, and I suppose I I was just kind of thinking, you know, of, of the direction I wanted to take with my career. You know, I, I'd heard of an opportunity in, in, in London um, to work in a neurosurgery unit. Um, so I kind of applied through an agency um, and then I suppose the rest is history. Really, I, I um, uh, went over then on my own and I, I've kind of been here ever since. It It's one of the busiest cities in the world, you know, but you can feel probably one of the loneliest people as well, kind of caught up amongst hundreds of thousands of people as well, even though it looks like everyone is rushing around and, and that it's... It can be very, very isolating and lonely as well. Like I'm, I'm ordering sometimes online, like Barry's tea. I'm ordering, um, um, you know, all those small, small bits and pieces, and to remind me of home as well. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm trying my best to, you know, um, um, try and and just kind of, you know, have have some of the things that I would have been having at home. It it, it helps ease ease that homesick as well. Tell me about the village at home. I live in a village called Kilavollen. Um so my parents, um, Marie is my mum's name and Tim is, is my dad. So um, we, we've actually grew up in a family of nine, so there's seven children in the family, so I'm quite used to, you know, being surrounded by family. Um, there was five girls and two boys at home, I was in the middle. Um, I'm looking after other people's families and I can't see my own, but obviously I do understand and, you know, the reasons that I can't, and I'm very accepting of that too. This time last year in Ireland, we had our first COVID cases, and of course in the UK. Can you talk me through your experience? Now, the unit that I was working on um, got turned into a COVID unit as well. Um, so we would have been looking after very, very sick patients. Um, and unfortunately, we would have seen a lot of those patients pass away as well. So um, it's a very, very difficult um, time for us and their families as well, you know, because I, I suppose usually um, we we would allow families to come in and see their loved ones, especially when we when we know, I suppose, that their prognosis isn't great. Um, but unfortunately, you know, it had to be a conversation that we had over the phone as opposed to in person. Um, so, yeah, I, it was just, to be honest, a very, very challenging time. I was scared, to be honest, um, scared for myself, scared for my colleagues as well. Um, 
it was, I suppose, just fear of the unknown. Was there a moment for you that was really, really difficult working in the COVID world? To be honest, I haven't thought about um, the past year myself so much. I've just kind of went, look, I'm coming into work, I'll show up, I'll do my best. Um, yeah, yeah, I haven't really reflected on, on everything at the moment, but th- there is one um, situation I can think of. You know, I'm not an intensive care nurse. Um, I'm a neurosurgical nurse, so it was, you know, obviously I was one of many people who who um, decided to work there for a period of time to help out. Um, there was one time that um, I came on shift and I was working with an intensive care nurse. And um, we were looking after um, a gentleman who who took a bit of a turn that, that morning. He he had a diagnosis of COVID, I think, a few days prior. Um, so, you know, I suppose I was just, um, you know, part of that, that difficult conversation that the doctors were having, you know, um, with, with the nursing staff and, and with the family about, look, and this patient isn't doing very well at the moment. Um, and I was kind of watching as the hours went by that his oxygen requirement was... was um, was getting higher and higher um and and that that um that evening he passed away um and and I suppose just the whole situation I found very sad because of how fast it happened um and really I mean the efforts that they made in intensive care was just astounding really you know that the hard work um that the nurses put in and the doctors and everyone really there you know he was a farmer and it just reminded me of, of home I think as well um you know, um, of of the village that I grew up in as well, um, because we'd have a lot of farmers and things at home, and it just it, it struck a chord in me for some reason, you know, and and it just really made me worry about my own family and things at home, um, as well. I I do think about it a lot, how how really really sick the patients got, and how how quickly things happened was was really quite scary, you know. And here at home, Fatima and Abdullah from Afghanistan are taking care of us. It has been terribly hard, unfortunately, you know, seeing young people die and, you know, without any loved ones and terminal diagnosis, breaking bad news, you know, giving patients support, acting like their family members, you know, without them having their family members, you know, and also giving them bad news. It has been terribly hard, both for patients and for us. We had never been, to be honest, you know, sometimes I tell my friends, like, this this feels like a movie, really. It doesn't really feel like we are in real world. We could never imagine that we could be, we could be in a, a situation like this, you know. But it has been a terrible time throughout, you know. And I wish and I pray that we get over it as soon as we can, as soon as possible. And Fatima, this time last year, the Irish government put out a call looking for... Uh, people with medical experience and background to come back and work in the health service. And what happened to you? I have uh, um, two little kids and they were really young. They're still young. So I really thought, you know, um, my first job as a mother is, you know, to look after them and to give them my time. But then the situation as due to Corona, you know, and COVID, everything got really worse. And then the um, Ireland call. So I had to, you know, um, say yes to them. Many of my friends were telling me to be honest, at that time. They were telling me, you know, that don't be mad. There is no need. God forbid if you got COVID or if all of you got, got COVID, you know, with mm-hmm. the kids, it will be very bad. But then we said, you know, like life and death are in the hands of God. You know, we believe we are going to die one day and we have stayed. And to be honest, we enjoy this country. We have been very welcomed here. You know, we are living here and we are thankful to Irish people. You know, they are amazing people, to be honest. We we love here. That's why we have settled here. We bought our own home here. 
but we said no this is the time to pay back this is our time you know i told her you know trust god and let's go ahead and then well, she started working yes in our culture brenda it's like you know whatever is written in your destiny you cannot you know hide yourself from that so even you know if it's about that so uh, that's what we taught you know so um me thinking of you know of my own job to help people and to serve so that was the best time you know to say yes this is my job and i have to uh, help people when they are in need so that's what i did and that was the step that i took you know so in a way it was your calling your natural what you've been trained to do and was there also a, a piece of you that was saying well ireland needs this too this country they need it and uh, we are happy we are having the best life with no without any doubt brenda so definitely this was the time you know to pay back and to give them you know whatever they deserve and even more than that yeah i joined uh, our ladies hospital navin can you tell me about life back home you said you were a refugee in pakistan and family back home we had well established homes we had very good lives in afghanistan but things changed you know and they had to leave everything back in afghanistan just because of the war and for to save lives so they ended up in pakistan with nothing absolutely nothing my parents were living in a tent you know provided by unhcr so it was extremely tough time very much tough time and but thankfully i i was successful in securing a scholarship fatima tell me a little bit about you you were born in afghanistan as well is that right yeah so yes yeah i was born in pa- afghanistan and i was really small i don't even remember that time when we migrated to pakistan and i was raised there i had my education and everything um i was in medical school that i met abdullah and we got married and then abdullah came here in 2014 and then finally Aslan was born in 2015 you haven't got your irish passport yet you've applied i presume for citizenship i, I have applied for naturalization and once i'm naturalized i'll get the citizenship i'll get the passport mm. and i applied in november 2019 and it's still in process yeah. uh, yes where is home now is home ireland is it home where do you want home to be host is my you know my home is in host so i was talking to azlan that <laughs> i want to go to host he was telling me but my home is in bettystown <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. so, yes. so kids say their home is in bettystown for us so our home is bettystown but our home is also afghanistan oh, yes. 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 yes yes i Having applied to the Minister for Justice and Equality. While Abdullah is still anxiously waiting a decision on his naturalization application, Aruz from Brazil shows me the video of his citizenship ceremony. My fidelity to the Irish nation. And my loyalty to the state. I undertake to faithfully observe the laws of the state the laws of the state and to respect its democratic values i remember one year ago we woke up in the morning and said so let's go because i'm getting my dream now because you know is something that i was really looking for and i become irish now so it was a special day yes brina 
Yeah, for us, it's a, such a great achievement. And it's not just about the paper, it's about uh, being part of this nation. Uh, for us, means a lot, because this is the country that we have uh, choose to raise our family. So it, it's amazing. And I think for us, the most important thing is it's about how Ireland welcomed us. It's great. It's so good to be part of this nation. We are so, so happy to have this opportunity. The couple spent some time in Ireland, returned to Brazil and then came back to Ireland again. I remember the night whenever we landed here in Dublin airport. It was the 12th of November 2011. And for me, I remember looking down. It was a very rainy uh, night and I remember when I just said, I just want to stay here. If God allows us to stay here today, I, I will be for my life so grateful. And I remember stepping outside of the airport. The first thing I wanted to do was literally to, to kiss the floor, to kiss the ground, <laughs> because I, I was so happy to be back. So happy to be back. And I, I remember the, the, the cold breeze outside of the, the door. And I said, this is my place. I don't want to go back to Brazil ever. So it was a, such a great feeling. Obviously, your heart was in Ireland, but you family and friends, of course, in Brazil. Did you have to then tell them of your decision that you were going to move and try and live in Ireland permanently? And how did that go down? It was a very big deal. Yeah, back in time, they wouldn't understand what would make us happy. And they didn't accept that being away from the family would be something good. Uh, I think we just become much closer being no. apart. Mm. We talk more often. We visit probably more often, even if it's just once a year. Mm. We miss each other. Maybe if we were there, we wouldn't value that much. Yes. But it was a tough start to a new life. We worked like in a, those kind of jobs, such as cleaners. We did some kind of... Uh, I was a, a waiter for, for a couple of years, Eros as well. So we did all the jobs that you can imagine. We have a very nice picture that, that I want to show you as well on the on, with the sign. Um, yes. I'm holding the, the sign from this shopping, Power Skirt Shopping Centre. That's Grafton Street. <laughs> That's Grafton. Wow. Uh, first of all, it looks busy, which is different to now. Completely. Completely. Yeah. But then we decide, do you know what? If we want to be part of this nation where everybody's so well educated, we have to go back to college. We need to, to know we have to do good. So I went back to college in 2013. And I got my degree and, and human resource management. Today I have a very good job. So I'm feeling so fortunate to be part of this nation for all the opportunities that we have got. And Eris, what did you study? Then? I mean, my last year in business, business Yay. studies. Yeah, I'm graduating this year. It's been one hell of a road. What do you think you've learned about yourselves over the course of moving to Ireland and getting citizenship here? I think the main thing was about, I learned about myself that I have the courage that I didn't know that I have. Because moving from, from, your, from your home country to a different country, you need to have a little bit of uh, courage. And whenever I got here, what I have learned about this culture, about this country, about the people, is that, you know, you just have to worry a little bit less. Irish people are such a, 
easygoing people. Irish people don't worry that much about oh, no, things. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I think I've learned a lot from Irish people in that aspect. As my wife said, I think the same way. So I don't worry too much. You know, I just you know try to do my my best and let God prepare everything. So. So the COVID year, how has it been for you both? And how have your connections with Brazil been challenged? Has that been difficult? Our daughter that lives in Brazil, she used to come every year from beginning of December to the end of February to stay with us. And this year she couldn't come. So this for us is one of the biggest challenge mm. uh, and we don't know when she's going to be able to come because we don't know if by the end of the year things are going to go back to normal or not so I think yeah. this is the big challenge for us how have you tried to overcome that long calls three hour calls sometimes <laughs> Oi. Oi Paloma Tudo bem? Tudo querida como é que tá aí? And, yeah I think we have trying to be in, like trying to be present, you aqui, know, trying to be in contact. Conversando. Oi, Brenda. É Brenda? É. Yeah. Hi, Brenda. Hi, Paloma. How lovely to talk to you. I'm sitting here with your family. They're so nice. <laughs> I think that too. They are amazing. I love them a lot. <laughs> Tell me a little bit about you. Whereabouts in Brazil are you? Which part of Brazil am I? Yes. I'm in the capital, Brasilia. How is COVID over there? Is it very bad? Yeah, a little bit, yes. But we are hopeful that with the vaccines, we can make it through this. We fight together. Paloma, your mom and dad here tell me how much they miss you and they have missed your visit. Has it been hard not coming over to visit them? Yeah, well, I miss them a lot. But I hope with the vaccines, we can be together soon because as soon as it's over, as soon as we can be together, we can hug, we can share love and have fun. <laughs> don't cry, don't cry. Everything's going to be okay. Love you. <laughs> I love you too, Dad. Bye-bye. Bye. Ciao, ciao. At the heart of emigration, there is a seed of hope. Yvonne is from Ireland and Gabrielle is from France. Uh, last August, we were travelling in a camper van for uh, two weeks, I think, uh, doing our little staycation. Decided to pop the question on Alcohol Island, uh, Kim Bay. And yeah, that was that was very nice. We got engaged on the second night of the holiday, so it was lovely to spend that time together. Mm. At the end of the day, it's, it's about us two getting married. It's about the two of us, you know, wanting to be married to each other and being together and all of that. And we were forced, in a way, to strip it back to that. And there's a few things like the hand and the stag and, you know, the morning of the wedding, getting ready and having everyone around. You have to take all of that away because you just you just can't. I suppose we're like delighted that we're still able to get married. I guess the main thing is that we want to do is that we want to marry each other. And for us, that was really important that we would still be able to, to do that. Something to look forward to over the last couple of months. Yeah, yeah no, it's been it's been great. And 
like part of it, we, we still have been very lucky. And, you know, there's people who have been way worse off and, you know, lost loved ones, lost jobs and everything. We have been pretty lucky on that front. But having, you know, we decided five weeks ago that we were going to go ahead and then it was all like, right, the music, the, the outfits, the ceremony, the hotels, the photographer, everything. So, yeah, most of our evenings have just been organizing the, the wedding has been, yeah, it's been stressful at times. Yeah. But then as soon as things, you know, started clicking into place and everything, it was just, it was good fun. Talk me through your hopes for your future together. You know, it's starting our life and future together and, you know, family and, yeah, the next however many years you have together. I suppose going through highs and lows together and no matter what, we'll, we'll be together. Can you imagine your lives now not together? No, I can't imagine my life without Gab. Um, since day one, we've always got on so well. And even since he moved to Dublin in July, you know, it was never there was never a major adjustment period. We just kind of slotted in together and it all just worked out so well between us. They definitely couldn't imagine my life without Yvonne. You know, it's just it's even small things like, you know, day-to-day life and coming home and having the chats about the day and cooking together and going for walks and everything, really. At times we could be crying, laughing at each other. Um, whether it's, you know, life has changed because of COVID. So some nights now we're sitting in doing our, our jigsaws together and stuff like that. Just uh, really happy that we met each other and he's the one I want to be with, yeah. It's their wedding day. And together, they are stepping into a more hopeful future. I just can't wait for the future. Uh, right now, and the past few days, it's been a bit all over the place between absolutely, you know, buzzing and ecstatic and really kind of nervous at times. And now it's just, just kind of can't wait. And yeah, done married life together. Her. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Can't wait. I saw you pacing as well, doing your yeah. vows. Yeah, like we've been working on the voice for a couple of days. It was all a bit last minute as well. But the main thing is, you know, I love her and I want to be with her. And that's that. And then it's trying not to like mumble, as I say, it's when it counts. <laughs> <laughs> the streaming, I've seen you yeah. try and fix that. That's so important because your family are tuning in yes. from France. Family in France and also, you know, friends and family here in Ireland as well mm. that couldn't obviously be here. Yvonne's brother, uh, Niall, set it up. It's basically a live YouTube video. So we sent out the link he's working in at now to make sure the, the sound is audible. Mm. And then, yeah, people can just tune in on the computers and phones and whatever and just watch the thing. And a call to Maman. Hello. Bonjour. <laughs> Comment va tout le monde? Ça va. Très en passion. Super. Will you be tuning in and looking at it online? Oh, yeah, for sure. <laughs> impossible not to have a look. <laughs> we are very excited and uh, we prepare the, the TV for watching this. <laughs> and we'll be all at home with uh, Victor, my mother, uh, Rodrigue, dad of Gabriel, my husband and me. <laughs> it's a wonderful day. We are very excited about, about Gabriel and Yvonne. Maybe a little, little bit sad too. We couldn't be there, but um, we are so happy for them. Je vous, je vous rappelle, je vous rappelle après la cérémonie. This is 
this? This is it. It's all happening. Uh, and I can't wait. As Gabrielle takes his place in City Hall, Yvonne arrives with her mum, Sarah. That's lovely. I'm delighted they're going ahead with it. Yeah. Absolutely. This is the most important part of a wedding and it's going ahead today and they're so happy. Yeah. Yeah, I'm delighted. I'm over the moon. Yeah. yeah. Gav is beautiful, yeah. lovely man. Yeah. And I'm delighted she's met him and they're going to spend their life together. Yeah. So that's it. You actually are glowing, apart from your beautiful look and everything, but you are glowing. I, I know his family are, are going to be tuning in online. Yeah. That's really important. Yeah. Yeah, it yeah. is. Um, they're all very excited about it. His grandparents uh, down the south of France, I think they were meant to be getting their vaccine for COVID um, at one o'clock today when the ceremony would be taking place. So they've pushed it back till this afternoon. So they'll watch the ceremony and then go get their vaccine. So that'll be nice. It doesn't matter that there's only six people there. No. What is it that matters? That we're getting married, um, that we can get married and that guests uh, we're not letting things hold us back. It's important for us to get married and that's what we want to do, so we don't want to wait. <laughs> and nor should you. Yeah. <laughs> Yvonne's dad beckons. And together they walk into City Hall for the wedding ceremony. That's all from this edition of Like Family. We're thinking of those of you where the miles separate you from your loved ones today and wish you well. From me, Brenda Donoghue, and producer Eileen Hearn, enjoy the rest of St. Patrick's Day. You have free consent to join your lives. You have pledged yourselves to each other by this.